Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So, if I'm not mistaken, and I didn't uh, check with the front office, but I think this is the the last retreat before the annual three-month retreat starts, where more or less uh, 97 yogis like you guys will come and sit for, for many of them, three months of this pretty much same schedule, a little less yoga, unfortunately. But uh, sit, walk, sit, walk, and at some point some Dharma talk. And uh, so, so from, uh, and we all here have sat uh, this retreat. And so takes you, the schedule takes you almost up to Christmas. Can you imagine next week starting this and, or can you? <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> Does it feel like paradise or hell or some, somewhere in the middle? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, it's nice to think this. I, I, I like to think that uh, we're kind of preparing the place for them, warming up the Zafus and Zabutons, you know, so when they come, it's warm with uh, dedication and, uh, yeah. And so a question that might arise in your mind at this point would, could be like, why? Why would one ever want to do this? <laughs> I'm even questioning a whole weekend right now. <laughs> you know, what is the point of this thing? That's, a, that's an important question, so it's good to maybe address it some uh, today. And I think that in, in, ve- in being very spontaneous in the way that I'm sharing, I would like to maybe touch on this. Why would, you, would we ever want to, uh, to do this practice? There's um, Bhante Gunaratana. Maybe some of you know this uh, great uh, uh, revered teacher uh, in uh, his 80s now. And a uh, very wise being teaches here some of the times. And uh, he says in one of his book, which is called uh, Mindfulness in Plain English, I think it's in this book, he says at some point, um, when at some point while sitting here, being attentive to the content of the mind, you might... Uh, it might feel as if you were um, stuck in a telephone booth with somebody who's completely mad, you know? And as if that was not enough, think of this, you might think of this telephone booth on uh, some kind of cartwheel going down the hill, <laughs> you know? And he said, this might look like bad news. Actually, it's not. It's, it's good news. Most people are in the same situation as you are, but they don't know about it. 
It's only if you create a space like here, this kind of laboratory, where we remove a lot of the stimulation and we just sit, that the craziness of the mind is revealed. Yeah? And so this practice that we're doing is called vipassana, huh? or in English, insight meditation. So one way to think about it is that we're developing uh, insight. We're having a different um, understanding. Insights come to us. We, things are revealed about the nature of the human experience. You know, what, or, and this one maybe particularly, or, or in a universal way or in a very personal way. But we are having insight about how this mind works. You know? And so this is often um, known as the first insight, the insight into the madness of the mind that is going in that direction, in that direction, the monkey mind that we often uh, talk about in this practice. So um, coming here on retreat, one needs to be courageous because there's a lot of the insights that we have uh, might not appear as good news. They might appear as bad news, you know. But what I like personally about it is that it's truth. I better be with the truth than not knowing and be driven by all kinds of crazy things in the mind. I prefer to know what is there. Why? Because when there is knowing, there might be some choice there. Maybe I understand that I cannot um, make this go away instantaneously. Just remake it in your mind in the right form. <laughs> I might not be able to get rid of this mind state, but being aware of it maybe will help me not feed it, not act on it, not speak from there. Yeah? So opening a kind of a gate of choice here. So this is a lot of the job that mindfulness does. This is this quality that is in, at the center of the practice uh, here this weekend, this awareness of what is ap actually happening in the mind-body. This mindfulness, one of its amazing qualities, is although it might appear to you as being very uh, passive, so what, I'm going to just sit here and all weekend look at the ways that I Hang, out, hang on to this idea or that or wanting this or preferring this or rehashing that or hating myself or judging others. You know, it's so, so you want me to just sit all weekend and just watch this and do nothing about it. What is this technique? You know? Well, although mindfulness might look a bit uh, passive, it's actually not. It's... Um, um, one of the words that we use is participative. It, it part, when it comes in, it's changing things. When it, uh, uh, it's coming in, it's a new condition that comes in the mind stream, we could say. It's a new factor of mind, of being awake, of being conscious. In, um, in French, uh, mindfulness is translated by uh, pleine conscience. 
So it's a full consciousness of what's happening. And so when you bring this mindfulness of what's happening, it's, uh, it's like putting, putting the spotlight on something that is active, active in the dark, usually. It works really well in the dark. Take just an example of... Um, I mean, it could be any of the, diff- the unhelpful mind state, but um, uh, judging oneself, self-critique. Have this in the, some kind of shadow, it can, it can really create a lot of damage. You stupid, move out, you know, you're in the way again, you're always in the way, people are trying to, you, you. But when suddenly you, just be aware of the breath, be aware of standing, be aware of walking, and at some point, you're still aware of walking, but you're walking back to your meditation cushion. And in the doorway, suddenly there's this kind of kerfluffle between people, and suddenly you hear this voice in a way that you've never heard it before. Usually it was a description of reality. You stupid, move out. Very exact, objective description of reality. You're stupid, you need to move out. Suddenly with awareness, there's a kind of different light shed on it. Oh, that sound a little violent. That sound harmful. Do you see what I mean? It becomes highlighted. Same with judgment. I, you go to the dining hall, perfect place for judgment to arise, you know. She's taking way too much food, look at him, so not mindful, you know, or, you know, this, that, you know. And usually it's a description in the unaware mind state, untrained mind, it's just the description of reality. She's really taking too much food, he's really unmindful, and that's it. But suddenly, with uh, this attention that you've been cultivating, sitting, walking, you know, stretching in this way, bending in that way. Uh, at some point, uh, when you get in the dining hall and judgment comes in the mind, suddenly you become aware how disturbing it is compared to uh, acceptance, compared to an open mind that you had for a few seconds sitting here at some point. And you say, wow, this is really... Uh, devastating inside this being. It's creating separation, it's creating hostility, it's creating rightness, self-righteousness, which doesn't feel so good when you bring full awareness to it. There might be a certain kind of pleasantness of like, I'm better than you, but there's also separation in it. And it puts me in a position where I could be judged too by somebody else. And so there's this tension. And when the, uh, who is the person who said, my mindfulness is becoming more complete, was it more full? When more, the more the mindfulness becomes full, the more we can actually feel um, very clearly the damage that mind states, certain mind state can cause. And when we feel it viscerally, I want to say, uh, uh, not thinking about it. Yeah, critical mind, judging mind is probably not helpful. But when I feel what it does, when I, I have enough of body awareness, of, uh, of um, an awareness that is uh, full, I don't know how to say it better right now, when I feel this experience of judging and the repercussions of it inside oneself, suddenly there's a, that's an inside, this kind of a fear that can arise. Oh, this don't want to feed, don't want to get more of that. This is not something to 
train the mind towards more of, you know. That's something that needs to be let go. I don't even need to think about it. It just happens. It's the shock of a true encounter with something. And we don't have this shock usually because our attention is very superficial. It touches things for a second, just enough to get information, to complete tasks. Yeah? But now we drop, we train to drop. It's not an easy thing to do. The mind is going to rebel, try to dream out some things, and, you know? but we try to drop and we train the mind to drop. And when it drops, it becomes sensitive. I remember one time I was in line in the dining hall and at the moment of uh, picking, uh, there was, um, anyway, I went to pick a, a spoon and the spoon that came out of the container was a big serving spoon, like it had been misplaced. But I pulled the, the spoon out and suddenly the first reaction was, you greedy, like you take a big spoon. But I was not, there was no taking a big spoon. There was no intention to get a big spoon. There was a big spoon. But there was something that was revealed in that moment that I would not have seen usually. Usually I would go like, you know, like, hide the spoon, take a smaller one, you know, so people don't think you're uh, greedy, you know. And you, you might think, oh, this is a very small thing, but for me it was very shocking to actually see with full consciousness the fact that this kind of basic belief that this being was wrong and that it would be revealed by actions, you know, or that there was something greedy about this being, basically greedy or something like this. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, there was no intention to get the big spoon. It's just conditions were such that the big spoon appeared, you know. But the guilt came right away, though. Like, it was like so well-trained. The guilt just attached itself to this story, even though it made no sense. And I was like, wow, I probably live like this a lot of the time. And suddenly I started to see this appear here and there. It was in the spotlight now. Not a good news. Very hard to feel. But I wanted to, I preferred to know about this. That guilt is sometimes, sometimes inhabiting this mind heart and making, making it do things and say things. And it could really do without. It would be better for this one and better for others also to do without. So by becoming aware of it, that's the first uh, step to actually releasing this. This happens through mindfulness, through being aware of. Yeah? This mindfulness also, uh, it's very important to understand that it, um, it doesn't judge. That's a very, it's a very special kind of attention. It, it just wants to know what the reality is made of. It doesn't judge. So when there is boredom, it gets interested in boredom. It doesn't want to get rid of it, or it doesn't want more of something. It just wants to know. And the magic of it is when something is wholesome, liberating um, when a state of mind is wholesome, it, it actually cultivates it. 
because there's an intuitive recognition that this is good, this calm, this uh, joy, this gratitude, this attention itself that is non-judging, not trying to get rid of. It's actually good. It's felt. One doesn't have to think about it. It just feels liberating. And then it's cultivated. When something is not helpful for one or for oneself or others, it also becomes pretty obvious. And in the staying with it, it's released. And one thing that happens sometimes is that, and you might see this on this retreat, is you sit with, um, let's say there's a resentment towards something or somebody. I don't want something to be like this. I don't want the person next to me to breathe like that. This is a funny thing. It happens often. You might have this experience. Is that we have patterns in the mind that, that are active in our life. You know? So I don't like my job. I don't like the way my bus is. And it seems very real, very important. And then you come in a place like here where we remove most of the stimulation. It gets extremely quiet. You don't have a bus to deal with or an employee to deal with. Or, you know, it's all removed. But then the same pattern of mind will show up. I can't believe somebody can breathe like this. Would you ever care about how people breathe in life? But here suddenly it becomes really, really important. You know, or something else. You know? And so the mind, the same patterns that we have in life on big things, my mate, my children, my mother-in-law, my uh, this, that, you know, the same patterns that we have will show up here. Either we'll be stuck with the stories in our mind, telling the stories, or it will happen in the relationship with others here. And so again, it's not easy news to be with. It's this way the mind works is revealed again. It gets uptight about this or about that. But in the silence, in the quietness here, the reverberation, um, because we get more sensitive and because it's quiet, the reverberation are stronger. And so we can really touch and feel how some patterns of the mind are damaging to oneself and others. Yeah. And so one of the things that can happen is that there can be in that the birth of compassion. So at some point when I sit here and I don't know, let's say I have an an opinion about the heat, you know, this should be, it shouldn't be that hot here. There should be something, they should do something about it. So I'm inventing this here. So I'm sitting here and third sitting that I'm sitting and it's in my mind, there's just this, there's just like, I can't believe this. There's the fan. Why don't they start the damn darn fan, you know, and, or I know, you know, like something like this. And at some point, because of that, there's nobody you can complain to because you're stuck with it in a way. At some point, something that might arise was, would be like this realization that this mind state, and it might not be said in these words for you, but this mind state is actually killing me. To have an opinion about how it should be is actually so difficult. I don't care anymore. Do whatever you want with the heat, you know? And suddenly, this little clinging to an idea 
gets released. And what do I find? Is that actually heat is just heat. It was not an actual problem, but the mind was making it a problem. And when you have the acceptance that kicks in, suddenly it's like, oh, it's just hot. It's really hot. And that's it. There's no more struggle with that reality. Or the compassion kicks in, as I was saying. So the compassion, when it kicks in, it's like, oh, for me, the way it shows up is, it's so difficult to be you right now, Pascal. My love, this is so, you're all worked up about heat, about somebody took my walking space, about the broccoli is too cooked, about, you know, I should be different, I should sit somewhere else, you know, you know, whatever it is, you know. It's like, wow, this is so hard to be this being right now. And what is happening there is a new quality of mind comes in and replaces the struggle. It's the caring that comes in. So maybe that leads me to say uh, that in, uh, when we bring mindfulness, in the wake of mindfulness, many qualities, amazingly beautiful qualities, can be born. So <clears throat> with being attentive, the mind can quiet, can find some calm at some point. This is, you might not have experienced it, or you might have experienced it a little bit, but with the practice of being attentive, the mind tends to quiet and become more balanced. Yeah? These are beautiful quality of mind. It's actually a form of uh, aesthetic. It's the aesthetic of the mind, a beautiful mind. That's what, how it's described in the, in, the, in the teaching, that one can develop a beautiful, a beautiful mind. And you can experience it when you're with somebody who's uh, present, when you talk to them. They really listen. They're also balanced when you listen to them. They can take in what you say. It's, it is an, a beautiful experience. Do you tend to agree with me? It's, you, there's a feeling of safety. There's, there's beauty in this. And some people have developed their mind so much that they're outstanding human beings. So it's possible to develop this. This is an amazing thing. It's not like we're stuck in the way we are, you know. There's, there's a neuroplasticity, if you want to talk about it in this way. It's possible to develop the side of the brain that is related to contentment and to shrink the part of the brain that is, uh, this, uh, experiences dissatisfaction. This is amazing. And so one can experience it inside themselves, these beautiful qualities, of curiosity for the world as it is. I remember I used to um, really uh, um, avoid, deny, resent conflict, misunderstanding. I would hate it. I would not want to deal with it, blame myself, blame the others, run away. And now with this practice, I've seen that I've developed this curiosity and uh, this capacity to remember, that's another thing. With mindfulness, there comes a capacity to remember the values that we really have. And so, entering conflict, I see now that I'm like, oh, it 
it's amazing that I can actually get worked up with impatience or with agitation and still remember that I want to respect. When usually it would go out the window with a mind state like anger, I could not remember the value of uh, respect. It would just, you know. And so with this mindfulness, we say that um, the word mindfulness in Pali, the, the, when we did the chanting yesterday was in Pali, it's this uh, language that the teaching of the Buddha was recorded in. So in uh, the word mindfulness in Pali, its original uh, word came in Pali, it was sati. And sati sometimes is translated by remembering. So not just mindfulness, but also remembering. So remembering what? Remembering... Maybe the first thing we could say that it could remember mindfulness is remembering itself. Oh, I wanted to be present. I wanted to be attentive. You have this experience sitting here, no? You're here, the mind goes away. And at some point there's a remembering that happens. Oh, I want to be present to the breath, the body, hearing, you know. I want to be here, not lost in the trance of the made-up story of myself, you know, but here with what's happening truly. And so there's a remembering of uh, mindfulness itself. There's a remembering of the present moment. Not my ideas about stuff, but what is that actually here now, you know? There's a teacher, Natalie Goldberg, I think she says, if um, your problems seem more real than the fact that you're sitting, maybe meditation could be a good idea. Learning meditation, you know? And so remembering that here, right now, there's no threat. Nothing that maybe needs correction. And then, whoops, the trance goes, yes, but we need to fix this, or, you know? And dropping back here, remembering that I can actually be here. And another amazing thing for me in this, with this mindfulness that I found is that I, there's so many things that get resolved without having to shoot up the coconut. All right, this is what happened. They said this, I said that. If I had said this, they would have said that. Next time I'll say this. This is really what they said. You know, I can't believe this. Yeah, this is what they said. This is what I said. That's really what I said. You know? <laughs> drop, remembering to drop down. And then suddenly in that, it's like, oh, okay, regret, shame, resentment. Feels like this. This is a mental noting that you can do that I find very beautiful in this practice. Oh, fear feels like this. This is how fear feels. I don't have to avoid it. I don't have to feed it. I don't have to think about it. I can just feel it. It feels like this. So remembering to drop down, to come back to what's really happening, remembering mindfulness itself, but also remembering the values that we have. It says that when you're under the spell of the difficult mind state, um, you don't have access to wisdom anymore. You're like in great anger, you'll forget what is legal, illegal, what are your values, you'll forget uh, even what you really think, the nuances will go away, you know? It'll, everything will become black and white. You've always been like this. Well, you know? So it says that when there's no mindfulness, the chances that all these things are gone. And when there is presence, 
uh, attention, then we can remember the values, we can remember the nuances, we can remember that our actions might have consequences, hurt others, hurt ourselves, bring trouble, you know. So these are some of the reasons why we would do what we do here this weekend. To, um, for me also, it, uh, another thing that it does is it brings choices, possibility. Uh, I named this maybe at the beginning of this talk, that when there is a tension, I don't, I, I can open a little gate where usually I would just go by habit, habitually hide, habitually judge myself, habitually. Now I can just have a point where I can find another way to respond to a situation than the habitual way or the reactive way. It's what we call appropriate response. An appropriate response needs a very deep listening an open listening, receptivity to what's happening, so I can find what's the appropriate response here and now. If I'm in the world of ideas and reactivity, it's like the door at home closes in a certain way. <laughs> when the door closes like this, I know what kind of evening we're going to spend, you know, how it's going to be. They're mad, and, okay, let me show them that I can be mad too, you know. And if there is full mindfulness... Door closes, thing in the heart, oh, there's fear about what's coming. Let's attend to that, you know, instead of getting reactive. Maybe another aspect of this uh, presence that we're developing, of this attention that we're developing that I find beautiful is that um, just when uh, some people could say, you know, your meditation thing, it's very, uh, how do they say that, Na- uh, navel-gazing? Yeah. Kind of like self-obsessed. And uh, My experience of it is actually quite the opposite. And that's how classically it's described also, is that this is a unique entry way into what it is to be a human being. There's a lot of what's happening in there that is universal. And so, and there's a great access to the inner life of this human being, one of them, you know? And so there's something very beautiful that I find is when I sit here, often I find that I'm discovering not something so personal, also at that level there can be a reading at that level, but also, the nature of agitation. Agitation sometimes is there, 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 but now I get to have a direct contact with it, a a privileged contact with (laughs) with it, I might say. And so I can actually see this. Or I'm sitting here, let's say there is some desire for revenge or some, something related to that or anger. And I've sat in the past with great anger sometimes and uh, I can see like, wow, I can understand how it would lead somebody to act on. It's so intense, so unbearable that of course you want to lash out, you know. Not that I 
that, okay, so it's fine if people lash out, but I understand from the inside how devastating it is, how unbearable it is. So that's my link to the solitude. Oh, solitude. So many people feel this. This is the door to compassion, or one of them, certainly, where I can feel like, oh. So the next time I meet somebody and they say I'm discouraged, I want, maybe I want to say, it's be fine, everything's going to be fine, don't worry. And I go, oh, discouraged, I know. I've been there. I know it from the inside. Yeah? Or if somebody says, oh, I feel so light, so so easeful these days, I'm like, wow, I know that experience. It's a beautiful experience. I can connect with you, you know? I can. So there's something universal about what we're doing. Actually, a way to talk about this practice is to say that um, a right way to understand what we're doing is that we're actually observing, feeling, getting to know nature. That there's not much of anything personal happening here, in a way. That when you sit here, you're observing nature, the nature of distress, the nature of ease, the nature of pain, the nature of comfort in the body. Yeah? It's not personal. It's the nature of reality. It says that it's a very important way to... Uh, um, central way or essential way to understand this practice that when I'm sitting here I'm not so much here to fix myself and my self project of being a better moi you know but just what is this experience of being a human being that being incarnated I remember um, seeing a documentary, maybe some of you have seen it. Um, it's called Dharma Brothers. It's about people doing a retreat, a meditation retreat in prison, in a high security uh, prison in Alabama. And uh, there was one bit that uh, I reflect on often. And so there was this man who was uh, there and he was saying in this... Um, in this prison, I can't remember, like my memory tells me, and you know, we know our memory is, but that there, it's a, there's 7,000 men in this prison or something like this, like loads of people. And uh, every week or so, there's, there can be a murder or some, it's very violent, charged uh, environment. And the men in the documentary was saying, Every day I have a feeling, I've, I get to send, feel, experience like great rage or fear, one of the two. And in the past, this was so unbearable in the body that I would actually lash out, do things, lose my, you know, um, kind of cold head or something like this, like uh, capacity to see what is dangerous, what is not, and how to, and I would just like, lose it, basically. And said, with this practice, what I've learned to do is actually feel it. Allow it to be felt. Allow the fear to be felt, but keep my eyes open and see what is the appropriate response here for survival and maybe 
for survival of self and others, for the betterment of the situation. And he said, this is one thing that this practice showed me. And I remember hearing that and thinking, wow, if that guy can do this in these conditions, surely I can develop that also in me and do it in most of the situations I find myself in are much less uh, dangerous or high uh, crisis kind of uh, situations. Yeah. One thing that I like also about this technique in Buddhism uh, um, in a larger way is my understanding of this is that what we want to teach you here, what we, and I think what the Buddha wanted us to learn is, is independence. This technique is so you can see for yourself what is wholesome, what is not wholesome. Not what society says, not what Buddhism would say, but that you would actually develop a way to actually be attentive in such a way that you could actually bypass, dive under your ideas about things and really meet the reality for, for really and see, wow, that works, that doesn't work, that is entangling, that is liberating, that you can experience it fully for yourself so that you can decide for yourself. So in Buddhism, as you might know, there's no agent, you know, higher or other agent that you actually ask for help. It doesn't work like this. The Buddha said, I took care of my business. You take care of your business. You take care of your business. Here's a few tricks, you know, a few things you might want to watch out for, a way you want to be attentive. And to me, this is very appealing. I want to be given the tools so that I can free my own mind, you know. This is what is being offered here. That's certainly the spirit in which it's offered. Yeah. And in his teaching, the Buddha would often say, Ehipasiko in Pali, which is translated by, don't be fools, don't believe me, please check it out for yourself. This is my own translation here. <laughs> Please do not believe anything that is said here. Check it out for yourself. Yeah? I'll, let's, um, I'll present an idea and then I'll invite you to check it out for yourself in the rest of the weekend or the rest of your life. It's just one amongst so many that I could, uh, could say, but one of the, uh, the, the, the position in French is, would be the, one of the Anyway, I'll say it. Cut the intro, Pascal. It says that um, movement, movement hides, uh, the word we use in Pali also is dukkha, hides suffering, hides the difficulty of having a, a body. Movements, movements hide the difficulty of having a body. So when you sit still for a little while, it, be, it can become very obvious that it's not easy being in a body. Huh? The way we deal with this in life usually is that we switch posture. You know, we, so movement, movement like putting this body to bed makes you, uh, makes hide the difficulty of having a body. And when you put the body down, at some point you have to flip it on the other side. Otherwise it starts to hurt the body. Yeah? And after you have to make it exercise, otherwise it hurts. 
You have to move also when you brush your teeth. So it removes the scent that would come from the body or wash. This is movement, wash the body. So when we move also, we eat, feed this body because otherwise it would hurt the body, drink, requires some movement. So it says in the teaching that movement hides the difficulty of having a body. And so when we come here on retreat and we sit for more than 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 minutes, at some point, the difficulty of having a body becomes really clear. So, so it, um, it brings some kind of um, more realistic view about the realm that we're born in. The realm, realm that we're born in comes with pleasure and displeasure. And we, many of us tend to think that if we did it right, it would be only flowing and pleasant. There wouldn't be, or if the other did it right, you know? So we tend to blame, you know, the situation, blame the other person, blame ourselves when something's going wrong, you know? We think something's going wrong when there is unpleasantness. And so as we sit here, we learn to actually change that and recognize that, oh, unpleasantness come. Can I, can I have a better relationship to it instead of fearing it, wanting to avoid it? Uh, uh, in all kinds of ways, can I actually learn to actually meet it and just be with it for a little while, allow it to be there, discomfort, as it's part of what's going to happen. The great winds in Buddhism, we say, is pleasure, displeasure, unavoidable, gain, loss, fame, disrepute. I mean, we can go like this for a few minutes. And so, with this mindfulness, we want to uh, learn how to be with lust. Learn how to be gracefully with gain. Not getting all tied up, you know. But like, oh, things emerging, arriving, beautiful things arriving, feels like this. Let me feel it. And when the discomfort comes also, how can I be in the midst of this without losing balance, without getting all agitated. Yeah? Maybe one little more teaching that you can check out for yourself is um, it says that um, with every experience, every phenomena, be it heard, smell, taste, uh, touched, physical sensation, or at the mind door, don't know if I named the cis six, but I aim to. So with every experience, there is a feeling of pleasantness or unpleasantness that comes with it, or neutrality. Yeah? And so as you're here, you might become aware of this, that everything you do has this quality to it. Even the neutrality is extremely important. And I'll say why, maybe. And in this teaching, we say that when something is pleasant, not all the time, but sometimes or often, or check it out for yourself, when something is pleasant, there's a tendency of the mind to grasp, to cling. Good, I want more of this, you know? So you go out, you're doing your um, walking meditation, and then the sun, which was hot, disappears under the cloud and suddenly there's a sense of ease 
And sometimes you can feel it. It's not just ease, it's yes. I hope there's more clouds, you know, like this is, this is what I want. I want ease, you know, breeze or, you know, like lightness, not heat. And, and you can watch this here and there, you know. You sit in a little corner to eat alone and you create your little space. Somebody arrives, bang, they sit next to you where you just created a little heaven. Of, uh, and suddenly it's not just unpleasant. There's this, this thing that happens often and you can check it out. And what happens is that there's a clinging, a grasping that happens also. I don't want. When it's pleasant, I want more of, I want to protect, I want to uh, keep. And when it's unpleasant, right away there's a, it's not just, oh, unpleasant. It's like, I don't want this. The sensation in the knee starts. It's not just, and you can see sometimes it's just, oh, unpleasant. Unpleasant. Throbbing, is that the word? Throbbing. Intense throbbing. Feels like this. It's not like that. It's like, ah, oh, no, more of this will kill me, you know, get me out of it. Rang the, ring the bell. Why don't you guys ring the bell, you know? There's a reactivity that comes. There's actually two teachings about this. It says that uh, in the text, it says, an untrained mind, an unwise mind, when there is um, the contact with unpleasantness, the untrained mind will react with aversion, either fear or hate or want to get rid of. And not knowing what else to do with unpleasantness, the untrained mind will turn towards something pleasant. In the knee, like, I don't want to feel this. Let me have some sexual fantasy or some fantasy about the trip next week somewhere or a trip I could take someday in Turkey, you know, like, like just exit into something pleasant. I see this at home sometimes, uh, like uh, something will happen and email and information that I don't want to receive, you know, or somebody's asking me to do something I don't want to do. Like, <sighs> Ice cream. <laughs> I don't have any other way to deal with it. It's like... When there's a, an unpleasant thing happening, let me find something pleasant right away, you know, to, to cover for the unpleasantness. And so this, this is known as a kind of slavery. And there's another way to be with it, is to actually feel it. Feel the unpleasantness, or feel the pleasantness, totally, you know. For the pleasantness, the, the advantages are very, very clear here. Because if I, you know, I go see the sunset and it's very beautiful and the mind clings as it will do so. So beautiful, so amazing. I wish I had my camera, I could take a picture of this. can't believe that. I can't talk to people. We can't talk here. If we could talk, I could say like, wow, you've seen this? And this guy is looking in the wrong direction, you know? <laughs> and the mind clings to pleasantness like this, you know? And so if we're able to let go of the clinging aspect, then we can actually have a true connection, true connection with the, uh, with the pleasantness. Yeah? So the advantage might not be so clear with the unpleasantness, but the advantage is, uh, and it says, when the mind is well-trained, when the mind has wisdom, it knows that pleasantness won't last. It has this wisdom that it will pass. And it knows when it meets the unpleasant that it will also pass. And check it out, you know. And so be there for the whole experience. And in the case of neutral, very important. 
In the case of neutral, it says that when uh, an untrained mind meets something neutral, an experience that doesn't have a clear uh, pleasantness or unpleasantness to it, it, uh, it tends to miss it, to dismiss it, to, to not uh, see it. And I find that maybe a, a certain amount or a lot of what we experience it has neutrality to it. And so I sit here, you ask me to be with my breath, there's nothing in there. You know, it's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant. You're going to drive me crazy with your be with the breath. I can't do this, it's too neutral. Let me think of, you know, a fight that I'm going to have probably next week with somebody. I prefer to think about this than be with something neutral. When life has a lot of neutrality to it, but the tendency will be to maybe get agitated when there's a neutrality. Or you'll say like, so nothing's happening. Well, actually, might be an opportunity for peace. But peace is for the heroic people who can actually sustain neutrality, maybe. Or that may be one of the manifestations of uh, or, or doorways to peace, is the capacity to be with uh, some kind of neutrality. It says actually that neutrality, when met without mindfulness, is uh, unpleasant gets us agitated, and met with a mind that has mindfulness, attention to it, presence, refined attention, will get pleasant. You might experience it with the breath, or just the being, or just the listening to sound. You know, there's not much great sounds happening here, you know. And just to be with this, when the mind quiets down, at some point it's just some kind of suchness, some kind of a just this. I talked about this about uh, using the word contentment. It's just like, wow. Crickets in a distance, not much happening. There's something very exactly it that is a simplicity to it. If that can be enough in my life, it's amazing, you know. And I can go and, you know, build things and do things with people, but when I wait for them at the corner of a street, you know, and not much is happening, it can be a full reality also. Do you see what I mean? And then when they show up and they get in the car and we go, it's fun. But in the in-between times, there can be a full life also, waiting at the grocery, waiting for the bus, the subway. I can have freedom at any point. That's what I'm discovering with mindfulness, is I can actually have freedom in the midst of sometimes feeling anxiety. I sit here and there's kind of contraction in the heart, mind, body. And if I don't have the belief that something else should happen, then I'm just with this in a caring way. It's very strange. I, sometimes I feel like, wow, I could turn to Erwin and say, oh, I'm not feeling so good. And I could turn to uh, uh, Anushka and say, I'm perfectly happy because it's not the best situation. 
it's not actually very pleasant to be in here, but my capacity to meet what is happening makes it totally okay, completely okay, actually beautiful. It's probably helpful also, because the reactivity of not wanting to feel something difficult would probably not help so much. My good friends, these were a few ideas about this practice and what we're doing here. So I hope there was some inspiration for you in there, a point or two. That, uh, yeah. So let's just sit for just a few seconds in silence. So may we find how to free the mind, how to come back to this natural ease of the mind that can be there, here now or in any circumstances. May we find great freedom and uh, be able to offer it also. Thank you for your attention. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.